Do you remember where you put it? About a year ago, I was looking through some old photos with my mum. That's the photo, remember, I found it in the attic. And we came across one from the Irish Press newspaper. This was the photo of the dedication of the church in Grand Lachan. In the picture, she was wearing a berry and she was laughing. Uh, there's a, a group of school children. Then she started to tell me about everyone in it. There was a boy at the front about the same age as my mum. Patrick Gallagher, Bob as we knew him, going to school. And uh, What age are you? I'm about 13 in that, and I'd say Bob is probably 12. Maybe 13, I don't know. It's roughly around that age group yeah. anyway. What year was it taken? It was taken in 1956. Then she told me that this young lad, Patrick Bob Gallagher, had been killed in the Vietnam War. I'm Cathy Raftery and I grew up in the west of Ireland, near the town of Ballyhornis. And this story of my mother's classmates stayed in my head. Back in Dublin, I found an article in a newspaper about that same Irish-born US Marine and how his sister was involved in a campaign to have a United States Navy ship named after him. This was Teresa, the first of Patrick's family that I met with. Hi, Cathy. You're very welcome. How are you? You're very welcome. Teresa showed me photographs of her brother. This was taken to Christmas before he went to Vietnam with his two sisters in America. I'd say that was the, one of the last photographs. And his next Christmas would have been in Vietnam. Fifty years since he died, the family have kept his dog tags, little stamped metal plates that all soldiers yeah. wear. Yeah, yeah. This is the dog tag, and what it says is uh, Gallagher P. Ed. 2170557 US Marine Corps, a male, and he's a Catholic. And so obviously they had to wear this at all stages. Teresa was happy to share her memories of her brother with me. He was the eldest brother, and we all looked up to him because he was that much older and he had gone to school in Granlachan and he had gone to school in Ballyhonas. And he was a very smart guy. He did a lot of um, a carpentry and kitchen table at home in Durin Toher. Still the table he made for his uh, project for school that year. He made a cabinet for the bathroom and that was still there. Most everybody else in the house except him and I had curly hair. So we were the only two with straight hair. <laughs> But he was a very, well, just because I'm saying it, he was a very handsome, clean-cut, very honest, genuine, caring guy. Patrick's brother Pete was closer in age to him and they were good pals growing up. He was three and a half years older than me. He was big into farming, yeah, he, he used to do all the farming, the, all the farm work, that's how much, how much horses like. We did everything that lads would do, we, you know, we took on adventures that shouldn't, shouldn't be taken on, I suppose. I'd be just doing my intercert in secondary school in Ballyhonis when he went to the States, yeah. Uh, were you disappointed when he went off? Uh, yeah, it was a bit, of a, a bit of a vacuum, a bit of a... That's when he was gone. Patrick grew up in a tiny place called Derrantoher near Granlahan, on the Mayo-Riscommon border a place where immigration was, and still is, a normal way of life. 
My mother and her brothers and sisters moved to the UK in the 60s, but Partrick went further afield, emigrating to the United States in 1962. Um, Margaret, my eldest sister, had gone out because my aunt in Long Island had only one son and he had got married. There was eight of us in it and she wrote and begged my dad to let my eldest sister out after doing our intercert. And then my dad went out to visit her and then when he came back, he himself and Patrick, Bob, as we called him, was talking and my dad thought it would be a great experience if he went out as well as that for company for my sister. So he went out then, around 61, 62. And you just mentioned there about calling him Bob. Why did, get, why did you call him Bob? I believe that my eldest sister, the, she was a year and a half older than him and she couldn't pronounce Patrick, so she called him Bobby. And it ended up Bob. Mm. Oh. Yeah, so Bob was just a nickname, but it stuck with him all his life. Mm. The kind of Ireland that Patrick Gallagher left was a big contrast to the city of New York. He was um, a captain when he left here, but he um, went into the real estate uh, sometime afterwards. Even though he was still a teenager, Patrick did well in his new home. Not only was he working in real estate, but Patrick had ambitions for a legal career. Yeah, he was studying law as well, so he was. And um, he got involved in the political scene there at the time, so he did with um, uh, and canvassed for Bobby Kennedy at the time. In 1964, John F. Kennedy's brother Bobby ran for the Senate in the state of New York. We stand here in the name of freedom. At the heart of that Western freedom and democracy is the belief that the individual man, the child of God, is the touchstone of value, and all society, all groups and states exist for that person's benefit. When Patrick moved to the United States, immigrants had to tick a box on their entry form to say that they were willing to serve in the military. I don't know whether it was because of this obligation to serve or if he was inspired by his new country, but in 1965, Patrick joined the US Marine Corps. Around this time, under President Lyndon B. Johnson, the United States was becoming increasingly involved in a war in Vietnam. This is really war. It is guided by North Vietnam and it is spurred by Communist China. Its goal is to conquer the South, to defeat American power, and to extend the Asiatic dominion of communism. In 1966, after nearly four years in the US, Partick returned to Durantor out of the blue for a three-week holiday. And were your parents surprised when he came home? They were very surprised. He just walked in on them and uh, they, I'd say they nearly dropped when they saw him coming in, yeah. This unexpected visit caused great excitement. We went everywhere, like we, that time the dances, there was dance halls in every town. We'd, uh, we, I'd say we went uh, dancing t- four or five nights a week nearly while he was home because he had a care and care singing was very scarce around the place. And, uh, we went to dancing in Castle Bear and Kulchama and Ballyhonas and all over the place. And did he, he, he brought his uniform home, show you? He brought his uniform home, yeah. And, and did he put it on for you? Oh, yes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he put on and modelled it around the place, yeah. He put on several times. Everyone that's come, he'd, my mother would make him go out and put on the uniform when my aunts and uncles had come in and that he'd have to put it on again and again and again. 
But Patrick returned with a secret. He hadn't told his family in Ireland that he was about to join the Vietnam War. He was coming home practically to say, not to tell us, but in his own mind to see us all one more time before he went to Vietnam just in case something happened. He didn't want to talk too much in case he'd let anything slip that he was going to Vietnam because he knew he was going to Vietnam the week after he went back. So he was inclined to um, dismiss all that and keep it, you know, keep the conversation going or something else. When they were worried about Vietnam, he said, oh, well, you know, that's way down the road. I mean, I have to train first. And he was leaving our house and actually going to Vietnam direct, more or less. After his trip back to Mayo, Patrick returned to the US and shipped out to Vietnam. That boy in the photograph my mother showed me was now just 22 years of age. I traced some of Patrick's comrades from his time in Vietnam to find out what it takes for someone to inspire a campaign to have a US Navy ship named in his honor. Although it's 40 years since the war, these ex-Marines are keen to tell his story. Patrick and I arrived in Vietnam about the same time in April of 1966. And we were assigned to 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines, the nickname of which is the Magnificent Bastards. <laughs> That's Henry Wayne Gardner. He was a member of Patrick's platoon. Another Marine Patrick became close to was Yu Siren. Yu now lives in Pontiac, Michigan. I was stationed with Patrick Gallagher in uh, Vietnam. We operated together uh, on several different occasions. Well, I liked him right off the bat, you know, because of his Irish heritage. And, and uh, he was sort of a serious person. He was, uh, I found out, you know, knowing him for a while, after I knew him for a while, a very dedicated individual. And, uh, you know, he loved being a Marine, liked what he was doing. Uh, Patrick was assigned uh, to a um, machine gun team. And initially he would have been an ammo carrier, ammo humper. Uh, machine gun fires pretty fast and so you use up ammo quite a bit. The guys, the guys on the guns, they, were, they usually pick the bigger guys because, you know, you're carrying a lot of weight there and, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know it's, it's easier for a bigger guy to handle a gun like that. And, and, uh, but uh, Patrick was a very well-built, strong individual and he could handle it. <laughs> he had a very deep love of family, and uh, he was kind of a serious person, and, uh, you know, he, he missed home, you know, missed his family. The area that we were in was up uh, in the uh, DMZ north of, uh, you know, north of Da Nang and up, up in the hills up there. Our daily routine normally was we'd run ambushes and patrols. We'd run patrols during the day in a couple of different directions, uh, see if we could find some good spots to set up ambushes, and then we'd do that, you know. And then, then we had larger operations, too, that we uh, took part in. After a couple of months in Vietnam, Patrick and his comrades saw some heavy fighting during Operation Hastings. The North Vietnamese Army had broken through what was known as the DMZ, a demilitarized zone in the mountains north of Da Nang. They were moving south in large numbers, and the Marines were sent in to push them back. We flew in by H-34 helicopters, and we uh, flew into the citadel of Quang Tree. We moved out, moving uh, towards Hue City, 
and we hadn't gone five minutes, the most 10 minutes when we were hit. Uh, they were watching us, obviously. So we uh, uh, were calling in airstrikes, you know, fighter aircraft bombers and that. We're releasing their bombs right over our heads, and then the bombs would continue, or the uh, forward momentum would carry them forward, and then they would land. I'm retired Colonel Jack Hilgers, 31 years in the Marine Corps. At the time, I was a captain in the 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines. In July, we were uh, on Operations Hastings, uh, next to the DMZ, when we ran into some probing attacks. I moved a machine gun team along the road, because the road, as a military road, it was uh, probably uh, three meters above the, the rice paddies, so that it was natural protection. And uh, if I remember correctly, it would have been Patrick's machine gun team that was firing uh, fire across the front of Fox Company into where they were, uh, where the uh, hardcore VC, Viet Cong, were holding, holding us up there. Pretty soon, Marines were coming, carrying dead Marines in their ponchos. And they were so pale, dark hair, but so pale. Well, they'd, been, they'd bled out, most of them. 18 years old, 19, kids. Yeah, that was a, a real eye-opener. We stayed overnight there. Patrick survived the battle that day. His actions later that night would save lives. It was a real dark night. We were set on the, on the opposite side of the river on a hill. They were probing us, they were throwing grenades at us, hitting us with, with rockets at night. And uh, they threw a grenade in the hole. Patrick was in there and then a couple other guys, and he kicked it out of the hole. And uh, then uh, they threw another one in, and he picked that up and threw it out. And then they threw a third one in and he laid down on top of it. And it didn't go off. And he picked it up and I could hear people yelling at him, you know, throw it, get rid of it, you know. And so he threw it down in the river and it went off. Patrick's act of bravery, diving on the grenade that night to save the lives of his comrades, brought him to the attention of Jack Hilgers. I do remember being approached by members of Patrick's platoon wanting to recommend him for a Medal of Honor for his heroism. And there was no doubt in my mind, we thought that he was a sure thing for a Navy Cross, and therefore he was recommended for a Navy Cross. The Navy Cross is one of the highest honors awarded by the United States for bravery in combat. All the time Patrick was in Vietnam, he kept it secret from his parents and family in Ireland. All of his letters home went through the US. But at the end of January 1967, the Gallagher family received a letter from Patrick, letting them know that for the past nine months, he had not simply been at a Marine training camp in California. He had, in fact, been in Vietnam. Patrick had to tell them because he was being awarded a Navy Cross and he wanted to warn them of the media coverage that would follow. His sisters remember the shock and excitement the news caused at home and in the surrounding neighborhood of Derentor. He began the letter at home. I hope you won't be too mad with me with the news I've got to tell you. When I was home last year, I had my orders for Vietnam. When I went back to the US, 
I have been in Vietnam since April 66. I will be leaving here in about 60 days. Now don't get worried, everything is going just fine here. I'm enjoying it very much. I had planned not to tell you until I got back to the US. And why he wrote to tell my parents was that he knew that the, it was going to be in the American papers. And he said there was an incident some months back and uh, the American press is making a big thing about it. Don't be annoyed at me, don't be annoyed with my sisters or my aunt because I made them promise. But I'm really enjoying it and I'm going on holidays and I'll be back and when I come back I'll only have X number of days to do and I'm coming straight home to see you all. Within a half an hour the doorbell went and it was Sean Dignan from RTE that they had got word. But there was an awful lot of media coverage. It was on the news, it was in the newspapers, it was in the daily papers, it was in the English papers, it was in the American papers. There was a lot of hype and the um, Junior Chamber of Commerce in Ballyhonas was going to decorate the town and have a big homecoming for him. Once the secret of Partick's service in Vietnam was out, he was free to write letters home about his experiences in Southeast Asia. The letters were as frequent, if not more frequent. And, uh, like, everybody locally was praying for him and everybody was asking, you know, how many more days, like 60 days is not a lot to do when you have already done 10 months, practically, you know. And did he describe Vietnam in these letters? These? Yeah, he, he would have said, you know... Um, like what I read out there, that he was enjoying it, that he was going on holidays, that he'd made a lot of new friends, and that it wasn't as bad as what people were reporting. Patrick's youngest sister, Pauline, was only two when all of this was going on. So her memories of him come through his letters and family stories from that time. He had bought home and he'd also um, sent some pictures home of the of the farming out there and, and, and of the, them working in the fields, of the local people working in the fields. And he described the climate and the country and that. I remember those letters being in the house as well. And so that would be within that 60 days from the end of January to the end of March, those particular letters would have, would have come. That's lovely that scene as your dad was, you know, you're on a farm and everything that you're trying to share. Yes, yes. Vietnam and home. That's right, yeah, and he had mentioned about my, that father would be doing the, the ploughing and it uh, was coming into that, that, that time of year, I mean, March. While preparations went on in Derrantor and Ballyhonis for a hero's welcome home, Patrick was still in Vietnam doing his duty as a machine gunner in the Marines. Oh, it's a pleasure to meet nice you. Nice to finally meet you. Yes, absolutely. I travelled to Florida to meet more of Partick's comrades from his tour of duty. Corporal Fred Bohanek takes me back to 1967 when he first met Partick Bob Gallagher, the boy my mother stood beside in that photograph I found at home. Fred was with Partick during a deadly ambush on March 30th, 1967. Patrick was a machine gunner. In fact, he was uh, uh, the leader of, of a machine gun squad. I had met him, I believe, through uh, my fire team leader, Frank G. Uh, uh, he says, that is Corporal Gallagher. He has a Navy cross. And everybody goes, Whew, because that's the second highest 
medal in uh, the armed forces. I just turned uh, 19. Uh, I would imagine that he was in his late teens or early 20s. Fair-skinned. Uh, he looked like any other Marine, hot and dirty and sweaty. Frank Morelli was a Navy corpsman, a medic who dealt with the dead and injured during battle. He was given just 16 weeks medical training. I was assigned to the 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines, 3rd Marine Division in Vietnam as their, one of their company corpsmen. The things that we were, we were trained to do but never really actually performed, you know, in a hospital setting or any kind of setting, you know, whatever, we were actually doing these things. And, uh, you know, and, and you're, so your biggest fear is, do I, will I know what to do when the time comes? Because by the time we got to the casualty, normally there was a medevac helicopter coming very quickly. We were doing, we were stopped the bleeding, perform breathing if necessary, do whatever it took to get them onto the chopper. Along comes March the 30th. It's 1967. Early Thursday morning. And um, basically, I uh, was assigned to go out on the patrol. And our job for that morning was to guard the local villagers to harvest their rice. It was a bright, sunny morning. Um, didn't expect anything, anything. We have not any further combat. Uh, of any sort in the past couple of weeks. So we're on this trail, and um, all of a sudden I heard uh, these sounds, these uh, something going through the trees, and the birds were scattering and to my right. And I'm like, I didn't even know what was going on. Well, uh, so all the Marines in front of me were, were walking uh, in Marine formation on the trail. They all hit the ground, and so I did also. And so we just laid there, and we heard all kinds of stuff going on, firing going on and stuff ahead of us, and then silence. And then I heard Corman up. So that's me. There was young Marines spread out on both sides of the trail, and um, I didn't know what was what. The first Marine I went to... um, I uh, opened up his, ripped open his, uh, uh, his, his shirt, and he had uh, bullet wounds across his chest. And uh, so basically there was really very little that I could do. Uh, he, he was just riddled. And so I uh, held him in my arms, and, uh, and I watched his eyes close, and he died. I treated another Marine for a wound, and another Marine for a wound. After that, the next thing I knew, we had washed our hands in this water vat that were full of blood, and um, we were crying. We never, I never remember what happened the next day. We just moved on and continued doing our thing, patrols, ambushes, but that was my initial uh, experience of death. 
Amongst those casualties was Corporal Patrick Gallagher. He and the other uh, nine men in that uh, first uh, platoon, first squad, uh, I'll never forget. Fred was injured during the ambush where Patrick was killed. He wrote this letter home to his mother on that same day, March 30th, 1967. March 30th, 1967, 3 p.m. I don't know if Uncle Sam sent you a tel- telegram or not, but I got wounded this morning by shrapnel from an M79. I'm okay, so don't worry about me. I had one piece in my neck, and that's all. We really got it today. Seven guys killed and six wounded. Uh, There's actually uh, more died the next day. There was a total of nine of why of nine dead. Uh, we left till 65 at 5 a.m. Beyond to a village named Hana. When we got around 10 yards into the open field, the gooks got up from, you know what a gook is? Is the enemy. That was a slang for Viet Cong. Not very nice, but that's the way we were. Uh, when we got up about 10 yards into the open field, the gooks got up from behind the rice dike and opened, opened up on us with machine guns, M79, M14, and all kinds of weapons. I really couldn't believe it was happening. Price got killed on the left of me and Waltridge on the right of me. Corporal Gall- Gallagher was shot in the head. I'll never forget that for the rest of my life. Almost 50 years later, back in Ireland, Patrick's family also remembered as if it were yesterday. We heard about it after Mass on Sunday. The two priests from Ballyharness, Father Rush and Father Hegarty, arrived at the door and said, was my parents home? And I knew there was something wrong. I told the priest that my parents weren't home from Mass. They didn't tell me anything. They met them on the way home. They were absolutely devastated, their eldest son. Vietnam hero Patrick Gallagher was in the news again. I was in England at the time, and it was um, a Sunday midday, and uh, two policemen knocked on our door. We were living in, in a rented house in Birmingham at the time, uh, five or six of them, some around the place here, and um, they broke the news, and sure, I was horrified, so I was. So the quickest way I could uh, come was by boat, sail that night. When I got into Dublin, there was people. Everybody had newspapers, and I was just limping across, and there the newspapers were opened. And um, the pictures, and the front, it was the front, took up all the front page coverage. And somebody knew I was, I was upset, and uh, 
they came to me, handed me a paper, and, and that was it, it was all there. The house was strong with neighbours and friends calling. It, um, it took about ten days before the funeral, the poor remains came back, and that seemed to be the longest ten days ever, waiting and waiting every day to see if, would, would there be any work today and would there be any work today, and... And eventually it was that, and his body was flowing into Shannon Airport. And I remember my mother and father and us all going down, and sure, they were, they were hardly able to walk, so they weren't with the grief. And that, and he was accompanied home by, by American Marines, and the flag was flown, and the flag was on the coffin, and... A lot of people from Billy Hans was even in Shannon waiting for the funeral to come out and um, there was meeting people all the way down and it was a huge cartridge in Bally, in, when he came into Billy Hans and yeah. huge crowd there for the funeral. Yeah. And again, all the cameras were there and he was supposed to be coming home to a hero's welcome and so that it was a funeral. Local people uh, dug a grave and made a vault out of it. So his grave is tiled from top to bottom. So it's a, a vault underneath the ground in Ballyhonna Cemetery. The funeral was into the church, directly from Shannon, into the church on the evening, and uh, it was buried the following day. I think you said that one of the Marines was going to stand guard. Yeah, one of the Marines, yeah. Say at the church all night, yeah. That's right. Around the same time Partridge was killed, Three other young men from the west of Ireland lost their lives fighting for the US and Vietnam. Christopher Nevin was killed in 66. Brian Oak Frayne died just shortly before Partrick. The three families were united in grief. There was three mothers at the grave that day and there were three Marys. There was Mary Frayne from uh, Balladrine. She had lost her son ten days before my brother was killed. And she came to the funeral and there was Mary Nevin from Clare Morris. And she had lost her son the year before, Christy Nevin. Mm. I didn't know ten days before. Mm, yeah. And his sisters were on the way to Shannon on the way after burying their brother. And they came into our house on their way to Shannon to sympathise with my parents. In the days and weeks that followed Patrick's death, the Gallagher family received many letters of condolence. Amongst those was a letter from US President Lyndon B. Johnson. But the one that meant the most to Partick's family was from Senator Robert Kennedy, whom Partick had canvassed for during the US Senate elections in 1964. And it says, Dear Mr and Mrs Gallagher, I was grieved to learn of the death of your son. Winston Churchill said... Courage is rightly esteemed as the first of all human qualities because it is the one that guarantees all others. This courage Corporal Patrick Gallagher gave to us all. To him and to his family are due the thanks of a great nation. Mrs Kennedy joins with me in expressing our deepest sympathy to your family and we want you to know that we remember him in our prayers. And my parents really liked that letter because there was no need for him to write. Like, we got letters from generals and from the president, but that was 
I'm sure what they did to everybody that was killed in Vietnam, but Bobby Kennedy had no, no, no reason to write for it except that he knew him or knew of him. Everything arrived home, all his, all his things. They said even the, the birthday card they'd sent him on the 1st of February, he arrived back, the St. Patrick's Day card and that they'd sent him then. And there was a letter he had sent saying, I got the St. Patrick's Day card on the shamrock you sent me. And so that would have been around the 17th of March, he'd have got that for St. Patrick's Day and he was dead on the 30th. But all those letters and everything, all his things, it turned home. The watch he, um, he wore uh, arrived home and my father wore that all his life afterwards, his watch. The aftermath of this loss understandably took its toll on the Gallagher family. They were they, they were devastated, like they, you know, they weren't able to talk, they weren't able to go out for the best part of a year, I'd say, before they started to to like mix and go to and go out to anywhere. So it was they were completely devastated over it. In recent years, Partrick has become the subject of a campaign to have a United States Navy vessel named after him. Another Mayo man, Martin Durkin, is one of the organisers of a petition in Patrick's name. Well, I grew up in the same town as Patrick in uh, Ballyhonis in, in Mayo. Uh, I didn't know Patrick. Uh, I was born two years after Patrick was, was killed. But as a teenager growing up in the 1980s, I heard bits and pieces of the story. And then in the late 90s, I happened to be in Washington uh, on a family vacation and went to the Vietnam War Memorial and saw Patrick's name. And I remember standing there in a rainy afternoon looking at this one individual Irish name. Shortly thereafter, I came across an article written by Patsy McGarry, an article on Patrick and his, his life and his uh, ultimate return to Ireland. Patsy McGarry had written that article because of his own experience as a young boy attending the funeral of one of the other West of Ireland Vietnam casualties, Brian O'Crane, who died the same month as Patrick. It was 1967, we were very small. Uh, this lad, the, the Frains were a very well-known family. It was a huge event with a huge casket. I'd never seen anything like it before. Uh, draped in the stars and stripes and uh, marched down the town, through the town to the graveyard and he was buried with full military honours. Uh, American army men in full uniform then wrapping up the uh, flag from the coffin and handing it to Mrs Frayne, who of course, like the family in general, was absolutely distraught. And so that was my introduction, if you like, to Vietnam uh, and to, to young death, because I'd never been at a young person's funeral before. So I wrote about uh, Brian Ogg's, um death and the whole event in an Irishman's diary for the paper in 1995. And out of that, I became aware over time with uh, the death of Bob Gallagher, Patrick, um, which happened just a month after Brian Ogfrain uh, in 1967 also. And I talked to the family at the time and wrote a piece in the paper that prepared a huge welcome home from him in Ballyhonis. And it turned into his funeral. It was a massive event, and a very, very tragic and poignant uh, event in the town itself, small town in the west of Ireland, to be linked into such a big international event as the war in Vietnam was very unusual and very striking for people. And, of course, it was attended by Brian Ogfrain's mother and her uh, family, and by the family of a man from Bal in County Mayo, Christopher Nevin, who was killed the previous year in Vietnam. 
So there were those three young men from more or less the same locality killed in the Vietnam War. Martin recounted the story to an Irish friend of his living in the United States. I was living in Dallas and had become good friends with Marius Donnelly, originally from Malahide. Uh, Marius is now running the Trinity Hall Irish pub in Dallas, and I recounted the story. But we ended the conversation by saying, this is the kind of person that uh, a Navy ship should be named after. And shortly thereafter, the uh, USS Patrick Gallagher petition was uh, was launched. And that's been uh, just coming up in three years now. And we are, we're, we've collected close to 6,500 signatures and a lot of stories along the way. And the ultimate goal is to be roughly, we'd like to be at about 10,000 signatures by uh, next, uh, next summer, uh, 2017. Patrick's comrades are also supporting the campaign. I have passed the word to get this petition signed. What an honour to actually put Patrick's name on a ship. It's just amazing. I do know what his, his comrades had to say about him. They, they, one of them said that he was the finest Marine that he had known. He was admired, greatly admired. Um, yeah, USS Patrick Gallagher. <laughs> I would like to attend the commissioning ceremony, you know. The naming of the US Navy ship in Patrick's honor is not a foregone conclusion. There is still work to be done. The tradition is uh, to present it to the Secretary of the Navy. What we want to do is collect the signatures and then put a cover letter uh, along with the petition. And we've got a number of high-ranking ex-military that we would like to uh, have them then pen the petition. And we have those people uh, lined up at the, at the moment. It would be another way of, of him being recognised, but I would see it also as all Irishmen that were killed in all wars, it would be a tribute to all of them. It would be a tribute to all of their families. There are at least, and I, I stress at least, 31 Irish citizens that were killed in Vietnam. The majority of them were green card holders who had gone to the US in the 60s and shortly thereafter were either enlisted or undrafted into the, uh, into the Vietnam War to serve with the US military. Although nobody is really sure of the numbers, Patrick Bob Gallagher is one of many Irish-born who fought in the Vietnam War. He is one of so many Irish killed in war over the years. And uh, Bob Gallagher is on the left of the bishop. He's looking straight and out at the camera. he's looking straight out at the camera. And I'm on the right-hand side looking at the bishop. <laughs> Looking at that photograph of all the young people standing outside the church in Granlahan, it's sad to think that this 13-year-old boy staring intently at the camera had no idea that at 23 years of age his life would suddenly be ended. An unfortunate if plane his body came home and would have been the plane that he was going to be home to visit us. Even to this day we think what would he have done and who would he have become and who would he have married and, you know, all the ifs and buts. <laughs>